Step right up. It's nailed. A halo by halo journey through the music of Nine Inch Nails. Why are you laughing? What? Oh, not this again. No, I'm fine. We can't do this again. This is Blake. This is Jessica. Je- and Jessica's got the giggles again. Happens every time we we start this, folks. I think it's because I get so nervous and it makes me giggly. The nervous God. Yeah. How how nice would it be to have the nervous giggles rather than the nervous vomits like the rest of us? I, <laughs> I, I get other nervous symptoms, but for this, for some reason, I just get giggly. Okay. Well, it's just a podcast, so, you know, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> just talk like no one's listening. Cause, Dance like no one's watching. Mm-hmm. Live, laugh, love. Eat like no one's counting calories. Right. So... We're back to finally start talking about the songs of the Downward Spiral, right? Mm-hmm. Last time we did the prologue. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting down and dirty into the songs, and we're just doing side one of four. Yes. We're dividing them up by sides, so... There are two discs on the two discs on the definitive edition vinyl, four sides. Mm-hmm. So what are the ones we're doing today? So today at side one, the tracks are... Mr. Self-Destruct, Piggy, Heresy, and March of the Pigs, which we already covered in a previous Halo. But Two songs with Pig in the title, and we're, not even, and we're only four tracks in. So for those four songs should take us, like, what, two hours? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so how are we going to do this? Do you have, like, backgrounds on each song? Um, a little, um, and just kind of, like, theories as to what they're about. Yeah. Like different interpretations, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, maybe just some stuff about maybe how some of the parts are played, that kind of thing, which I think you have right. too. I have some of it. So, yeah. Just some backstory, just some fun stuff. We also were watching along as we do this, as we research this, watching along with the ICSI videos. She did a video for each of the songs on the Downward Spiral. Watching those, taking notes, gathering from... Different interview sources. We just listened to these songs on the Surround 5.1 mix. What a journey. On the dual disc from 2004. Uh, That was pretty fun. Yeah. So I got some stuff from that later. But yeah, really fucking important album that starts with... How are you going to start it? Well, I guess we'll start with song one. Um Mr. Self-Destruct. We're just gonna, I just want to kind of dive in, just get right into it. Right. Did you have anything to say before we start? Um, I mean, it is an important album. I'm very nervous about this. I have a lot to say. I am not very good at communicating how I feel sometimes. <laughs> very sure clearly. Um, and yeah, just a lot of information out there. It's just really scary yeah, to kind of tackle this and talk, talk about it. A million people have talked at length about this song and all the songs, especially this one because it's the opening one, um, and it sets up themes of the album. Mm-hmm. But we'll try our hand at it. Okay. This one features Adrian Ballou mm-hmm. of King Crimson fame, mm-hmm. among other things. He's, He's credited with texture generating guitar. <laughs> a very interesting credit. Mm-hmm. Um, He's he does gu- guitar improvisations. In some parts of the song that were kind of chopped up in digital software, digital software, <laughs> as opposed to analog software, 
by by Trent. He just kind of chopped and screwed it, and what he ended up with was the stuff that you hear very quietly in the bridge of Mr. Self-Destruct. There's some whiny, wonky, uh, reverse wild, amazing-sounding guitars that are really, really super low in the mix. So you got to turn it way up. Then kind of a louder version of that happens at the very end of the song and kind of mm-hmm. rides out for, what, a solid minute? Yeah. And when we were listening to the surround sound mix, they just had the those guitar noises go in a circle around the surround sound image. So it goes from the front to the side to the back, however you've got your speaker set up. It's just to round it around to make your head spin. I don't know. Yeah, I was really disoriented. Yeah. <laughs> it's disorienting because it's just like it's it's like pure noise. It's not melodic. Well, you'll hear it. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You've heard it. So Adrian would come back for later uh recordings. Um okay. by nine inch later. So he's on the fragile, he's on uh hmm. Ghost One Through Four and Hesitation Marks. I'd really like to know it exactly what he did on on all that i guess we'll get there we'll get there did he do anything else on downward spiral the becoming oh okay i believe yes yeah because i I thought he did more than one yeah so he um also is known for working on david bowie's lodger album which controversially is my second favorite in the berlin trilogy but Hmm. (laughs) i thought that's the one that people didn't like it it is that's why it's controversial Okay. Anyway. Um, and he, um, when talking about recruiting him, Reznor has said that they started him on Mr. Self-Destruct because it was the harshest thing they had at the time, and they wanted to put him through the ringer, and <laughs> he was awesome. He said, I've never seen anyone play like that with such a command of the instrument. Um, and whenever Baloo came in, he was instructed to play freely, think on reacting to melodies, concentrate on rhythm, and to use noise. So that's kind of like his instructions as he just kind of free played over, you know. He certainly used noise. Yes. And so Baloo said, I went from doing Paul Simon's Graceland straight <laughs> into working with Nine Inch Nails. Wow. So you couldn't get more, much more different than that. By the way, I don't... Graceland came out in 1986, yeah. so there had to be some in-between stuff, right? Maybe, but... Maybe he was on the Graceland who, World Tour. He's a guy who's uh, probably in semi-retirement by this point. I mean, he wasn't a young man. Uh, I don't even know if he's still around. I think he is. Um, I didn't realize that Graceland was the, yeah, the yeah. last thing he did before this. <laughs> That's what he said. So... Um, yeah, that's how they they got blue, basically. Um, and he, do you want to hear what he said about the downward spiral whenever he heard it? He said, this is a piece of noisy trash. He what said, did he say? this is an abortion. No. <laughs> Just kidding. He said, when I heard the finished thing, I thought no one else can make something like that. It's a landmark record, one of those records that has really affected a lot of people. Up there with talking heads remain in light, which I also played on. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Just me making landmark albums. And, I mean, Graceland's kind of considered a landmark album. Oh, definitely. Uh, he's worked on a King, lot. King though. Crimson. Just, I guess, every record he's ever played on is some sort of landmark. Yeah. Uh, is it? Is it because of him? Uh, maybe. I don't know. So the title, I've read it was borrowed from a soft cell song. Yeah, I didn't. 
you told me this recently. How the fuck did I never know this? Did you maybe just never typed in Mr. Self-Destruct before? It, yeah, only for like, nine I mean, inch like nails in your, purposes. Well, I know, but sometimes, you know, I mean, it would pop I up. I never saw that, no. How, okay, so there's a soft sell song also called Mr. Self-Destruct. That's not an accident. Mm-mm. Trent was a fan of soft sell. Oh, yeah. So has he said anything about this? Not from what I found other than, you know. That's crazy. Coincidentally, they both are called Mr. Self-Destruct, and they are track ones on Uh, their respective albums. the first track. Yeah, so the Soft Cell appears on uh, This Last Night in Sodom, which came out in 84. I listened to a little bit of it, and rest assured, it sounds absolutely nothing like this Mr. Self-Destruct. But it still bangs in its Soft Cell way, I think. If you say so. Soft Cell's good, but I... The song didn't grab me right away. It wasn't uh, it wasn't harsh and didn't attack like uh, like the downward spiral here. So yeah, I guess he lifted that. Maybe um, he was like Mister Self Destruct. That would be a good name for the the character of sorts who's going to maybe the antagonist. Is that what anta- you? Well, I guess he could be the antagonist. We could talk about the album's themes and what it what it means forever. Um, should we play it and then talk about the meaning of the album and the meaning of the song? Maybe a little bit. That might be good. Um, but it starts with a sample from a film. Ah, uh, yes. What an interesting way to start your, your I, second full-length album. I really like this choice. It's a, re- it's a weird and bold choice, and I like that he did it. It's a man being bludgeoned. Oh, shit, we didn't watch that movie. <laughs> No, it's okay. I'm a bad nerd because I've never seen this George Lucas movie. What's it called? THX 1136. 38. What, okay, that's where that's where he came up with the. Um, he named the THX theater sound protocol after his movie. Did you know that? I mean, I guessed after I heard the title. <laughs> um, yeah, I I wanted to watch the movie. Uh, we st- we still should watch the movie because I think there might be other could be wrong there might be some other sound sources in there maybe we can discover something new maybe but i want to know what this uh beating scene is all about so we hear hits and some moans of agony where we heard that before um i guess it's not the first time on a on an nin record and then it just speeds up until it becomes the beat and the beat is the most scary robotic thrashing um nightmare in industrial beat you ever heard does that is that a good description i mean i haven't listened to every industrial song in the world ever so i couldn't well, confirm okay. it's bad be- it's the best one i i okay. went through and i listened and it's the best one okay good glad you got through them all all right and without further delay mr self-destruct thinking the first time you hear this what is happening and why am i scared 
and why do I love it already? Yeah, I, I, I probably thought it was pretty, pretty cacophonous. Mm-hmm. Um, like most of, much of this album. Yeah, uh-huh. the album is, and it took me a while to realize I, I, there's music I love beneath that cacophony. I do love this one a lot. Like I could listen to this one forever. Even though it's such an ugly song. Except for that bridge part. That's very pretty. <laughs> uh, but it's insane, the level of aggression that's being pounded into your head here. Just the, the layers of guitar and guitar chugging away. And then all of a sudden... You hear the whispered, I am an exit. Mm -hmm. I am an exit. Oh, we can hear Baloo. Gotta really crank it up though. I didn't used to crank this up enough. Then it blows your head off once once the beat comes back in. This is back when records had dynamic range. You could get you could get away with a lot more uh, dynamic range in 1994 like this. I I never hear this anymore. And those vocals are just freaking the fuck out. <laughs> They sound so tortured. It's like some parts on Unbroken where his, his voice is about to give out on the falsettos there. This is maybe one of the more broken-y songs of the... That's what I was thinking, and that's a good introduction, not only like yeah. to the character, but also crossing that bridge between Broken and, and the downward spiral. Yeah. Like it's... Uh, People who loved Broken are like, all right, I, I know have, where this album's yeah, going, yeah, yeah. but there's and a lot it more to it. And completely and immediately goes an entirely different direction. Goes to Piggy, man. And I have a quote. Remind me after the song. A okay. quote about that, the arms race of getting harsher and harsher. So this is probably like several layers of Vadrian. I'm not a guitar person, but I can barely guess at what all he's doing here. It's a lot of looping. The way he he bends the strings and slides around on them is just, I don't know. I don't understand it. I'm not I'm not sure I even knew what this was or recognized it as guitar like when I was first listening to this in my teens. Did you? Yeah, I couldn't I figured it had to be guitar because what else could make that sound? I mean, obviously well, it's very I, distorted and fucked around with, but Yeah, I I think I assumed that a lot of the stuff was synthesized and a lot of the stuff that I thought was 
synthesizers and stuff ended up being guitars put through an insane amount of processing. And same with a lot of the stuff I thought might have been real drums, was fake drums. Um, so that's just something he does a lot. Likes to fuck with you, Blake. Just you, specifically. Yeah, it really, and it did fuck with my brain, but in the best way that just got me hooked forever. Hang on, okay, I have a thing about about expectations starting your next your next record after doing a really harsh uh, metal type album that people people liked. Trent Reznor said in Keyboard Magazine in 1994, I didn't want to box Nine Inch Nails into make every song harder than the last one, meaner, tougher. I think that's a trap. That's not really what Nine Inch Nails is about, and I didn't want to go completely back to the Pretty Hate Machine style, percolating synth stuff. But I realized that when I sat down and started noodling around with ideas, I was much more inspired to sit at a keyboard than I was with a guitar. I didn't read that on the last episode, did I? No. (laughs) Okay. Pretty sure. So yeah, he decides not to get trapped in the make everything harder and tougher than the last one, the kind of metal arms race. But he does kind of a fake out almost with the the first track, at Mm -hmm. least. It is like, oh, this shit, this is harder than Broken ever sounded. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. And I guess it's supposed to be really over the top. So we can talk about what things, we can talk about the song and what it means and anything Mm -hmm. you want. And then I also have um, some isolated things from the surround mix that I wanted to point out. Can I tell you something? As we were listening to that, and there's the bridge, right, where Reznor is whispering, I am an exit. Mm -hmm. I used to call this song the American Psycho song because at the time I had discovered Brett Easton Ellis and was reading like all of his books Mm -hmm. uh, and because I was obsessed with American Psycho. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. And so I think the last lines of American Psycho are, this is not an exit. Right? Yeah. Like the main character reads a sign in it above a yeah. door. Yeah. And uh, whenever I heard him whisper, I am an exit, I would just think, this is not an exit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I, I, yeah, I see. Which our character learns later on that it's not an exit to go down that road, you know? I guess it's not, but this. Or maybe it is. So the Mr. Self-Destruct <laughs> that is singing the song is saying, hey, I'm an exit. You're really fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. You hate yourself? Come over here. I've, I've got an exit for you. Like a, he's a, a, tem, a temptation type thing. I don't want to call it a person because I don't think it... I don't see this as like... Okay. For yeah. a concept album, there's not a lot happening, right? Yeah, so this... This, this does not have a plot per se. It's more no. of a character study. Yeah. Correct. I, okay. I believe so. Now, some people will look at this and The Fragile and, and many other albums, and Year Zero is maybe the most plotty mm-hmm. of the concept albums. But I don't see this in that strict story A to B to C way. Mm-hmm. It's just a different... These are like the stories I would write in my... Uh my fiction courses in college and people would say, but nothing happens. And I would say, what do you mean? The (laughs) world happens. happens. (laughs) Yeah. What are you saying? Like nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't have to happen in order. And yeah, you could, you could listen to this album and be like, what just happened to me, to my ears. But upon closer inspection, um, a lot happened and I'm literally still internal. 
I'm still discovering more of what happened inside there. So I don't see it as a story like my interpretation is not going to be one of the people who's like, all right, so we seen one. We start with a man. His name is Mr. Self-Destruct. He meets a, a little guy named Piggy. Um, that's not quite how I see it, but... And I also don't look at it as, hey, I'm Trent Reznor, and this is my <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah. I don't see it as that way either, even though later on... It is on, a little bit of that. A little. But even, I mean, as an artist, don't you put a little piece of yourself yeah, of in everything you do? You do? Of, and okay. of, of course he did. Of, of course he but, did purposely. Uh, but yeah, what you were going to say about later... But later his life kind of followed... The same path as, I guess we can call it, like, the protagonist so of this So it was a life-imitating art thing, almost. In almost, a, In a tragic yeah. way. And, and sometimes that shit does happen Addiction in such a tragic way. Addiction and depression and loneliness and alienation. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he wasn't at his... He was not at his lowest in his life um, that we know of when he mm -hmm. was making this, but he did he get there. he said, it was the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like he... I don't know. He could see the spiral. Maybe he was closer to the top or somewhere in the middle of it. Um, and maybe he was imagining what the bottom of the spiral would be like if you traveled there. And these little, these are little snapshots along the way, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a, a theory on this opening song, though. Okay. It's, it's not really a theory. It's more just a way to look at it. It's a lot like, well, first I want to talk about the wall. Okay. Uh, this is really stupid, but I, I, I had never listened to Pink Floyd's The Wall, um, all the way through until like, uh, a few days ago. He messaged me. I was working and he messaged me and he goes, I'm listening to The Wall, RN. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause I, I needed to do it to research this album cause obviously it was, um, Did you influence. like it? I did. I need more listens of it. I want to watch the movie. Um, it was, the wall was more like a musical than it was a, like a Pink a rock, Floyd album. It's a rock opera. It's a rock opera. Right. Yeah. It is. And that's what it was meant to be. And the downward spiral is not a rock opera or a musical. Like they don't stop for dialogue in the middle and, and, and clips and stuff like that. Like they do in the wall. The wall is much more, is, is closer to Hamilton to me than it is to the downward spiral, even though I do see how it. It influenced Trent to, I don't know, to, what, how did it influence him to, to do, to like riff on one subject? Yes, I think he just wanted to explore the idea of a concept album. Mm -hmm. and, and he so always he, loved The Wall, and yeah. so he kind of mirrored right. it a little that bit. That is his, yeah, his basis since uh, as a young person, that was his influence. Um, I have a good comfortably numb tidbit when we get to Ruiner. Oh, okay. So even though... I don't see downward spiral as like the wall. I do compare Mr. Self-Destruct to the overture piece of a musical. Okay. So the two ones that I, <laughs> I don't know very many musicals and I don't know that world very well. Okay. But the two examples I'll use that I have seen are Hamilton and Sweeney Todd. Okay, that that actually tracks. These are musicals I know Blake has seen. But yeah, <laughs> and they're both of them start with a an overture mm -hmm. introducing someone, mm -hmm. and we don't we don't hear from in both in both uh, both shows we don't hear from Sweeney Todd 
for a while and we don't hear from Hamilton for a while, we hear a bunch of other people's voices say, well, he's like this. And did you know he did this? Mm -hmm. And also he's this, but he's this and he's this. All these different voices coming together. Or even like in Beauty and the Beast when Belle is introduced. Right. That right? Is, it's it's the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's the town there talking goes about that what Belle. A, yeah. This is what she's like. Isn't she a little weird? She, she likes, likes to read. Books. <laughs> what a she freak. can read a woman. <laughs> and she's not married or pregnant and she's obviously over 13. This is weird. And so, no, it's not the protagonist character um, like Pink in the, in the in the wall. Isn't that cute? <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. They named their rock star Pink. Um, a personification of all his self-destructive tendencies. That's what I wrote. In my, I, I can't remember if that's a note that I wrote or something I took directly from the ICSI video, but I believe it's spot on. So all the self-destructive tendencies of a person could be these different voices, uh, could be personified as this Mr. Self-Destruct, which mm -hmm. we now know it was lifted from soft cell, but yes. put in a, a nice new context here. So uh, before we get into uh, the tracks that you have, um, I'll just read what Steiner had to say about it. Um, this is just a quote from his book, Into the Never. He said, Mr. Self-Destruct makes a powerful introduction to the album, establishing the paradigm for the record's dynamic shifts and overarching themes somewhere between frenzy and retreat. It's a song never at home in its own skin. I thought that was a very apt description of the song. Yeah, that that sounds right. Um, it's never comfortable. <laughs> it, the song does not allow you to get comfortable. Maybe in that bridge Maybe part. Maybe briefly. Briefly, but then it shocks you. Reznor likes to give you a teeny tiny break sometimes yeah, and yeah. then just pummel you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. And then we feel like we're about to get more of a break when Piggy comes in, but then we learn it's really not a break. Anyway, so should I go through what I've got here yeah. audio-wise? Let me hear it. Um, so in a 5.1 mix, um, I got the uh, all these surround tracks uh, are available on nindestruct.com. And you have, um, why do we call it a 5.1 mix, Jess? I have no idea. I don't know anything about sound. Because we use five speakers mm -hmm. and one subwoofer. You know this. Mm, it all makes sense Subwoofer now. is the dot one. For some reason, that's what they called it. Okay. So you got your center. You got your left and left and right, like mm -hmm. in your normal stereo system. But you also add a center. That's usually where the dialogue comes out of when you're watching a TV show or whatever, a movie. Mm -hmm. uh, often where the main vocal will come out of in... Uh, it's not common to have 5.1 mixes of music. I wish it were. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what's really interesting is that in Mr. Self-Destruct and in a lot of the stuff we're going to see, uh, Trent's vocal is not anchored to the center. It is in some parts, but when he really wants to fuck with us, he puts it all over the surround spectrum and not the center. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe to decenter us. I don't know. Um Left and right center, and then left and right surrounds, which you can put either to the sides or behind you. And then the subwoofer, which is only very low frequencies. I'll start with that one. Our cat likes to sleep on the subwoofer. Yeah, he was there the whole time we were <laughs> playing these. Even And I was blasting it. He didn't care. He likes the, the vibrations and the heat, <laughs> the I heat. think. Yep. Um, so it's mostly just really simple stuff going through the subwoofer channel, um, I think across this whole album. For Mr. Self-Destruct, we just kind of hear the downbeats. Here, I'll play it. 
Oh, okay. Can you tell what that is? Or... No, it's so muted. What What are you talking about? Can you hear it? Oh. Can you hear it? Yes, I can hear it. Okay. Yeah, this is like the chorus part. You can hear the bass going up. Uh, but mostly it's just the And dun, you could hear it whenever dun, the chorus dun, kicked dun, in, dun, I could really dun, hear it. Done. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just it's keeping that that uh the one beat rhythm. Um okay, I have something from the center channel. Oh, there's a synth that comes in that I never knew was there until I heard the surround. Um it's in the center channel. This is what it sounds like in the context uh, of the song, but I've I've upped the synth a lot and in the center and put everything way back. Yeah, but you didn't know that was there, did you? Dang. Maybe the fattest, wettest synth sound <laughs> on the whole album. And here it is. It's just pretty com- fat and wet. Do it again. When you play just the center. Uh-huh. Big electronic fart. <laughs> it's so... And listen to all the, all the noise. All that hiss. Yeah. That hiss is not a mistake. It's part of it. I mean, it's just in there. Um, this record as dirty as possible. Yeah, I th- and this song especially. There yeah. are so many layers of dirt and grime and pure noise. It's going to get to a a, a a ridiculous extent here. Um, okay, the chorus. So this is what we just hear in the surround speakers. I'll just play a little of that. So either to the sides of you or behind you. They really exaggerated it and made it dramatic for this song. <laughs> Ooh. That noise. Yeah, so crazy. Um, Here's uh, Adrian Blue doing his guitar thing in the bridge. I brought it up. Of course, you can hear the vocals a bit better, too. Listen to it kind of crescendo here. Yeah. Uh, 
that that shit's crazy. Yeah. Like both the vocal and the guitar at, at the end part. And that's like cut off by the beat coming back in. You don't even get to hear that, that very end thing. Okay. And the last two clips I have, I want to talk about pink noise again. Okay. And I, I have a, a quote here. I don't know if you got this one too. So we hear we hear pink noise kind of come up and up and eat the mix on Mr. Self-Destruct. And I believe that after reading this uh, interview in Keyboard Magazine 94, I think this is the source of that. Uh, Reznor said, a guy came to tune our studio and he had one of those real-time frequency noise generator things. So essentially a machine that shoots pink noise into the studio Use microphones to see how it bounces off the walls and shit, and you tune your studio accordingly to uh, make an ideal, you know what I'm saying? Like like an ideal arrangement for recording yeah. music? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you said it better than I did, and okay. I'm, I'm the one who's supposed to know this stuff. Um, but that's how testing things is often done um, in the pro audio world is sh- shooting pink noise at things. So anyway, he said, so I sampled it, the pink noise, the the noise generator. I think there's something strangely musical about noise. Mm -hmm. A strange assertion. Um, If you take a high frequency and pitch it way down to where it's aliasing, he really knows his shit too. Aliasing, (laughs) I'm really sorry for the stuff I will go into. Is this okay, Jess? No, do it. I'm interested. If you take a high frequency and pitch it way down to where it's aliasing. So aliasing... Usually in audio is when you convert audio to digital and the range of frequency like in the real world goes into your digital converter. But depending on what sample rate you have, like, you know, really there's really low resolution stuff and really high resolution stuff. Um, The higher your resolution, the higher what is called the Nyquist frequency. Okay. Which is the highest frequency that the digital converter can can uh, recreate. Okay. So if what's going in uh, as an analog signal into the converter is higher than the Nyquist frequency, it will be like almost mirrored back down. And don't ask me about the math involved in how it's mirrored back, but it'll become this like false frequency which we call an alias okay we also use aliasing in um in the visual uh digital art realm like um when the resolution isn't high enough and i don't know a jpeg okay you zoom in you can see aliasing you know you know what i mean like you zoom in on a JPEG and this is in a, in a really loose sense, you zoom in on a JPEG and it looks all shitty. Yeah. There are false pixels, essentially. It's the same concept in audio. Um, I don't know why I need to go into all that, but uh, changing, doing these uh, digital conversions causes weird alias sounds, which he uh, he likes the effect of that. He, he says it's a pretty cool thing. Um, and it, it does, it creates a different sound that you're not going to get with an organic instrument. So he says you layer that in the mix and suddenly it becomes thicker, even though sometimes you can't necessarily hear it. A song like Mr. Self-Destruct, obviously you're going to hear it. It sounds like a vacuum cleaner running through the whole thing. I think it's interesting that he said vacuum cleaner, considering the uh, song Sunspot uh, a decade later. 
Uh, but a lot of times it just thickens things up without being noticed as, oh, he, he's just layering some noise in there. And yeah, on 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 first hundred listens or whatever, I I wasn't like, oh, he's clearly just increasing some pink noise that he sampled. I had to kind of read about it and then isolate tracks in the surround mix to really understand what was going on. But okay. all that to say, this is what happens. <laughs> So there's the noise. Mm-hmm. I think I hear the alias too. Yeah, the, the pink noise just completely eats the mix. I have another clip of it here. Let's see what this one is. This is more, so you can just hear the noise, but yeah. you also hear that, that little fart sense yeah. we heard earlier being eaten up by it. start to come in okay that's all almost an hour in and we've done one song sorry but i'll, I'll let <laughs> you continue five hour podcast um do you want to take a quick break um get the non-squeaky chairs and yeah come and, back yeah, and talk and about piggy okay yep. Sounds unprofessional to squeaking around in our squeaky chairs, talking with right. our mouths full of cookie and shit. Look, this is a comfy podcast. It's I a want... cozy. It's a cozy cast. It's a comfy cast. Cozy cast is already trademarked. It's not trademarked. Sure. So we're just a comfy cast. Blake and I are in our comfies tonight. I'm wearing sweatpants. We so. both are. Mm-hmm. They're lounge. Well, no, they're joggers. They're called joggers. Which sounds so much classier than sweatpants. Mm-hmm. I'm literally in sweatpants, it Makes though. it sound like a jog, like I exercise. <laughs> what? Nothing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks for shaming me. Piggy, so are you going to tell me who Piggy is? That cookie was not fucking around. What? Are you going to tell me who Piggy is? I mean, I can tell you some theories about who Piggy is, or at least one I, theory. I want to know. But I'm excited to talk about Piggy. Because I want to tell you about my personal experience with Piggy. Okay. It might have been one when I was younger that I was not a fan of right away. 
but became a fan of as I got older and matured and my tastes matured and changed. I think uh, also on the ICSI video, she said she would skip it. And I was like, what the fuck? ICSI, if you're listening, same. Listen, <laughs> I don't identify with that. I think this is one that I always loved, but... I mean, I, I I love it now. To each their own. Yeah, I, it uh, I, maybe it just, yeah it took some took some listens. I, mean, I but was thirteen. I, think I, I wasn't it. into those vibes. I was like, I just want to be mad and. There's yeah, it is mad though. It's but, a ma- there's but so you know much, what I mean. Yeah, it's more chill musically. There's so so much more going on here than any of us ever thought. Like. Even though it sounds so sparse, there's so many layers. I haven't even found them all yet, I don't think. Yeah. Well, so this is this is a slow jam. It's 66 beats per minute. And this is also a Flood and Reznor production. So two of them together on this. Um, so Piggy, fan favorite. Live staple, by <laughs> the way. This is Yes, I think this is a regular set staple. That's yeah, what you're whereas wanting to say. Mr. Self-Destruct was played during Self-Destruct Tour. Not necessarily played a lot beyond that, but anyway. Yes. So, Picky was actually released as a promotional single in 1994. So, there's like a U.S. promo single out there floating somewhere that people probably yeah. have or are, are selling. Um, yeah, it'd be cool to have. Not a real Halo. Three tracks. Piggy, Radio Edit. Hurt, Radio Edit. Hmm. And Piggy, Rick Rubin Remix. Is that the one that's on? Um, no, I'm not sure. Spiral. I'm not sure if it's the same remix or not because gotta be. My guess is that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing is: is this the first appearance of "Nothing Can Stop Me Now"? I think it is. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it is in all the songs, and also the first, definitely on on the downward spiral on this album. Mm-hmm. Although it keeps being referenced on the album, it's not the first reference of a pig. Because we had that on last, but... So, Piggy, nothing can stop me now. I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Ruiner, you didn't hurt me. Nothing can stop me now. Mm-hmm. Big man with a gun. Me and my fucking gun. <laughs> nothing can stop me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, La Mer, mm-hmm. nothing can stop me now, but spoken... In uh, French. In French. Creole French. Okay. Uh, sunspots, and nothing can stop me now, and there is nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. We're in this together, kind of falls in there. None of them can stop us now. That's pushing it. Pushing it. That's but it's not the same thing. It's there. But it's, a, it's the same sentiment, but with two people instead of one. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go into a theory about who this yeah, is about? Yeah, I do. Because I heard a theory. I heard a uh-huh. nasty, nasty rumor. Did you hear it was about Richard Patrick? Yes. Former guitarist for Nine Inch Nails? Yes, and did this come from a interview with Richard Patrick? I've got several different sources. Okay. So first of all, Richard Patrick's nickname was Piggy, allegedly. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know. No. It probably was. He said that he gets the nickname from... Okay, here's his story about how he got the nickname Piggy. He oh. said... In an interview in 2013, one evening before some studio time with Trent, I took a girlfriend to a skinny puppy gig. I was watching Soundcheck, and Ogre was on the mic shouting, White Piggy, over and over. <laughs> I found it really funny. When I got back to the studio and we were setting up, I kept doing an impression of Ogre, and after a few minutes, Trent shouted to me, Hey, Piggy, shut up and play some chords, man. <laughs> and the name stuck after that. <laughs> okay. 
And he said he hated it. He did not want to be called Piggy. Like he resisted <laughs> the nickname. Well, maybe he shouldn't have but also, uh, said it's, Piggy so much. You know, it's one of those things. He was a skinny, skinny dude. So when he Just shouted, hey, pig, he was really talking about, about Rich. Maybe. So later on, there was another interview Patrick did. And the interview was asking him, hey, do you ever talk to Trent Reznor? And he said, not really. When a guy writes a song called Piggy about you, there's obviously tension or some leftover shit. My nickname was Piggy. He's writing songs about me. You know, I wish it hadn't been so complicated and so weird. I wish it would have been a little more fun. Maybe one of these days we'll talk and it'll be okay, but it doesn't feel like his friendship. That's for sure. I don't think the song Piggy is about him. I think that... Anyway. <laughs> I think he's... I don't know. Do we want to talk about why they were fighting just a little why bit? Why did they... Why did he... Did he get kicked out of the band? What There's the a lot of different stories about what happened there. Um, one that I've heard is that he did not want to be like a... Just a hired musician, right? Like he was actually invited to Wait, LA... he wanted to write? Well, he was invited to LA to help record and, and brainstorm slash write The Downward Spiral, right? Uh -huh. And whenever he came, Trent, who was notoriously... Um, I don't want to say controlling. Perfectionist. Perfectionist, right? He is He is a control freak. So, Reznor has said that writing collaboratively is hard for him. He struggles mm. with it, which is yeah. something I also relate to. Yeah. Um, in fact, before Blake is allowed to release podcasts, mm. I have to listen to him yeah, first. Yeah, she does. And I tell him, but edit usually, stuff out. Usually I'm perfect with my edit, <laughs> but sometimes. Anyway. Um, so Reznor has said, every time I tried to branch out, I realized I just should have done it myself in the first place. So, yeah. There we go. And so Patrick, Richard Patrick kind of wanted a bigger role, I guess. Maybe, maybe he actually just wanted to write music and just not be the hired guy who's told what well, to play. You yeah. know what I mean? And, um, he was told, I don't know by whom, if it was the label people, whatever, that if he contributed any music... While they were writing the downward spiral, it wouldn't be his anymore. Like if he actually wrote something that Reznor used or whatever. Hmm. Um, so that so he was in some sort of contract where uh, he gets no no credit, no I'm points really, on the record, yeah. no publishing. I really don't think that's he a could. shit deal. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and he was also having early uh, he was having issues with like alcohol abuse, right? Hmm. Um. And because he wanted to kind of pursue his own thing and actually be creative in his own way. And because I, I don't want to slight anybody here. This sounds reasonable to me. Yes. <laughs> to be like, I just want to do my own thing. Yeah. And he went. And yeah. Wanted and to so, start his own band, yeah. obviously. So he went back to Cleveland to work on his own project, which was Filter. Mm -hmm. And he and Reznor were strange for many years. I believe they're okay now. Um Sure. I I've seen pictures of of uh, Richard Patrick hanging out with Reznor and Maraquine. Really? Yeah. It looks like they were on the set of the what's the Psycho TV show? Is it just called Bates Hotel? Oh God, I don't know. Why would they be there? I don't know. Spooky fun times. <laughs> They're just hanging out, being friends. <laughs> I mean, touring the set. I'll have to find that picture and see if my memory is yeah, correct on we'll that. I'll have to post that. Yeah. Um, I've probably seen it. You probably have. But Reznor was hurt by this whole thing because he always thought of Patrick as his friend first and his bandmate second. So probably not a lot of good communication there at the time. Just two young men, <laughs> too proud. Right. You know, to uh, 
really maybe Been speak there. about what's bothering them. Been there. Um, you know, toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. you know? So, it's broken up a lot of my bands. Yeah. So that's just a quick and dirty version of the story of Richard Patrick's nickname. Well, and we know why they were fighting and why yeah. the song maybe is about him. We know Trent is ready to call anything and everything a pig. Mm-hmm. And that probably went back further than this. Well, allegedly, this was written before he even got to the Tate House, which would mean. Really? He and Patrick, if this was about Richard Patrick, they would have had to have issues for quite a while before this. That's what he claims because everyone's like, oh, is this about the Tate House because of, you know, the graffiti that was found? I don't don't think it's about that. No. Uh, I I don't think it's about one single thing, and I don't think it's about just Richard Patrick, although maybe some of the anger or feelings. And the betrayal. Yeah, maybe some of that feeling is in there, sure, but I think it's a mixture of things, like most songs tend to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have theories on what it is? I mean, it could be about like a breakup of sorts, whether it's yeah, losing it a band member like or a a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a codependent relationship with yeah. someone, and that split up, and now you're like, I've I've lost my shit. Mm-hmm. Didn't he? He had some kind of big breakup right before uh, this album was made, didn't he? I'm not sure if it was right before this album or if it was more like, I know there was a big breakup before like Pretty Hate Machine and, well, you know, it's possible. It's probably, <laughs> probably multiple breakups going probably. on. It's, it's probably hard to years. date a guy, a dude who's touring all the time or in a studio all yeah, the time. Or, yeah, dude, that's just difficult. Yeah. So Piggy is played regularly live. So I don't know if you have this queued up. Well, do you want to talk about that after we talk about normal album yeah. version of Piggy? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I've got other than, so the whole nothing can stop me now, to kind of come back to that briefly, right? Mm-hmm. What Reznor is trying to say, um, and in an inter- interview he said this, he was saying, if I don't care, you can't affect me, right? Mm-hmm. This is when someone is kind of starting to lose everything and just not caring. So anything that anyone does to yeah. try to help them or hurt them, it doesn't matter, right? doesn't yeah. affect them. Nothing can stop them. No one is more unstoppable than the person who does not care. Mm-hmm. What do they have to lose? Yeah. So it's a very dark thought. You'd have to be in your darkest place to really, to say that and really mean it, the chorus of this song. Okay. Should we play it? Let's do it. Nothing but a little drum, a little tambourine, a, a, uh, a bass guitar, and a voice, and a lot of breathing. Now, I, I thought this was the first appearance of the tambourine and Nine Inch Nails music, but listeners quickly set me straight that there is tambourine all over the song kind I want to. <laughs> this is the sexiest tambourine. <laughs> oh, is it? Yes. Let's listen to it. it the swing. Remember that sexy beat. The swing beat bass, of sorry. this. Yeah. This song's all about the swing beat to me. It's it. That's everything. It's it's so not what you'd expect. I believe it's the first swing beat we ever hear in a Nine Inch Nails song. 
We don't hear that many going forward. There we go, my favorite. I love this. What, the children screaming? Mm -hmm. That's good. <laughs> this whole verse is really good. on the big drum solo. Mm -hmm. That's everyone's favorite part, right? I mean, it, it really stuck out as like the thing you notice most about this whole song. And never in a million years did I think it was Trent Reznor playing it until recently when I read all about what happened. We'll get into it. I used to kind of think that, before I knew that much about the band and stuff, I used to think that this was a more collaborative record. That maybe he had, you know, he had different people come in and play guitars and drums. I mean, for a couple tracks. For a but... few things, yes, that mm -hmm. he did, but... I never would have guessed that it's like 95% Trent Reznor playing everything. What's that sound there? It's a quiz. Like what's making the sound? I heard somebody call it a synth, but I have I have different thoughts. Is it not a synth? To me, that sounds like a piano run through a severe um, vibrato effect. Like, I would bet money on it. That's, that's what it is. He's actually playing the piano there. Just all affected to hell. Fades to nothing but an acoustic guitar, of all things, strumming away there. See how piggy. Hell of a song. Do you have anything you want to play for us? I have a lot. Uh, I have several things. Well, why don't we do that, and then yeah. we can go into... I don't have as much um, big, long-winded things to say as I did on the first one, so, which is, thank God. Thank God for that. Um, so let's isolate some vocals. I think in the center speaker, we have vocals as well as the big thud. Uh, it's like a fake bass drum sample sound on the downbeat. Hey, pig. 
Big, 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 big. This is the breathing and shit. All of my sniffing came true. Black and blue and broken bones. You left me here. I'm all alone. My little piggy needed something new. I love it. He's he's such a perfectionist and um when he puts like guitars and drums into puts them into pro tools dumps them to a hard drive he edits them within an inch of their lives but on vocal takes he'll just leave all the noise in there (laughs) no editing i mean i wouldn't have noticed that though until you pointed it out i don't think even (sighs) until you played it without like any of the other like listen to the beginning okay well, Everyone hears that opening yeah. breath, yes. and there's little sniffs and breaths in between there that I think we all hear in the song. Anyway, so the vocals go on to the chorus. I think it might have some extra stuff in that center speaker there, too. Nothing can stop me now, cause I don't care anymore. Nothing can stop me now, cause I don't care. So the bass with... Um, a lot of overdrive or distortion on it. And that part there sounds less like a tambourine and more like some kind of noise. God knows where it came from. But that noise, in addition to the regular tambourine. Um, what else we got? There's this uh, orchestra sample. That sounds like from a horror movie. Yeah, it does. It sounds like, sounds like an old, really dramatic horror movie score. Mm-hmm. And you really have to isolate it to get the full effect of it. It's it's almost like what what is that when you're hearing it in the context of the song? But I wish I knew. It's one of those three thousand movies that Chris <laughs> Brenna watched. Yes. I wish I knew what he took it from. I can't believe we've never we've never found a lot of these. I mean, samples. honestly, that sounds so familiar. Though it could be from so many different wow, things. Wow. Yeah. Like everybody uses those notes. Yes. Um, Okay, and this this is what's happening in the surround speakers, first verse, first chorus. Just the taps on a hi-hat. Oh, there's that orchestra. Just taps. Oh, then this, okay, industrial noise. I love these. I I didn't know they were there for a really long time. In verse two, we have one of my favorite sounds on the whole album. You want to hear it? Yes. The organ. Yeah. If someone knows, I really hope it's like an acoustic organ. If someone knows the type, please tell me. I could have my heart broken and it's just like, a keyboard fake organ. Is that is this song debated as to where it has the TDS motif and is that yes. where it comes from? Okay, yes. Okay. Because I can um, hear it if that's, like, I, I feel it, like it, it... It starts the way that the downward spiral uh, motif starts. Dun, dun, dun. But it, like, I'm closer and on the title track it goes dun, 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 dun. 
on this, the organ, at least the, the top note of the organ goes dun, 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 dun. It's one half step off. It, it sounds nicer in this song. The theory that Ixie had was that the, the motif is kind of being refined and evolving as the album moves on. Mm-hmm. It's a little more interesting than just using the exact same notes again and again. Yeah. Which if this were a musical theater, they would just probably do the same thing verbatim again and again. Um, and each time you hear the motif, it's in a different key as something interesting I found as well. Uh, but yeah, it's... one half step lower and then it goes it doesn't go all the way down of course and then the kids i want to know what that's from like kids on a playground that's <laughs> on a on a merry-go-round that's what i always thought of Let's see i got our favorite drum solo in the world i tried to isolate the trent Reznor drum solo so should we tell him tell him what the oral history of the of Trent playing the drums on Piggy was that he was... It was a test, right? They were, yeah, they were just testing the mic setup on the drums. He was so, waiting. So the kit was set up in the dining room? Oh, yeah. And he said that he was playing along, fucking around, testing out the drums, and he'd go into the other room, start the machine, run back in, put the headphones on, and play along. I couldn't hear it very good, and I was very out of meter. So I just played as insanely as I could so I could hear how the drums were going to sound on tape. When I listened back, I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Someday I'll come back and fix it. And of course, I never did. That was it. That was the final take. A lot of what I do is accidental. I mean, hearing it, it makes total sense. The first thousand times I heard it, I was just like, what's going on? They're, they're, they're being crazy with it on purpose, Right, like they're just trying to do the craziest drum solo possible, but really it was an accident. Does it sound like to you, as someone who plays drums, does it sound like someone who's beginning to learn how to play drums or is kind of at a beginning level? It sounds sounds closer to a beginner than it does to like Neil Peart or something, (laughs) but he's, he's good enough to actually play. It's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. So it's like, oh, there's another talent he had that maybe no one knew about. Um, he can play a drum beat. Um, he he's also just kind of going all over the place. But I mean, he can. I mean, he can probably play anything you put in front of him. Am I right on this? Instrument wise, probably. I mean, and even if he doesn't know how to play it, he'll like. I don't know. They took like cellos and shit on this record, and he's just like, okay, I don't really know how to play this, but I'll. I'm just gonna kind of wing it. Uh, but imagine if you're Chris Vrenna and you show up, and he's just like. I already got it. <laughs> and then you don't you don't end up being on the finished product. Uh, anyway. He also does say that um, it's edited somewhat. 
So it's put into Pro Tools, and some stuff was moved around, I assume, to maybe match the meter a little better. But still, it's not perfect, and that is it's quite noticeable. And I think it's a good result, though. In addition to that, there are sequenced fake drums that maybe you wouldn't hear as well if you didn't isolate them, but they're in the center speaker of the surround mix. So the fake drums kind of anchor it while the wild drum solo is happening all around it. It's like a really standard electro beat, but shuffled. So that's running throughout the whole thing. Uh, pretty pretty tough sounds there. Let's see. The part where he says, lost my shit, there's some noise. What am I supposed to do? Lost my shit because of you. Nothing can what was that? It's like metal scraping. Yeah, what a weird sound. There's a lot more noise happening here on the chorus. It's like a, almost like a kettle, but worse. What am I supposed to do? Lost my shit because of you. <laughs> almost done, I swear. Um, oh, I love this noise. I don't know what created this. But this is toward the end. It's just like static, but it does have a pitch. Um, and then the song ends with this acoustic guitar that you can you can just kind of barely make out in the mix. There's not much acoustic guitar in Nine Inch Nails up until this point, except maybe in the song... Help me, I'm in hell. Maybe? Hard to say. I mean, there was a good moment on Pure's Feeling. Pure's Feeling. If we count that, <laughs> I don't know that we count that. But you could. But yeah, that's all I had for Piggy. Okay. Um. Well, before we move on to Heresy. Um. So, and talking about this, Steiner said that Reznor's repetition of the words pig and piggy have an unhinged obsessive tone, like a serial killer equally fascinated and disgusted by their victim. Hmm. The narrator's conflict of holding two divergent thoughts at once between love and hate is part of what makes the song so intriguing yet disturbing, a state that recurs across the album. Reznor's piggy figure is as much pet as prey, equally beloved and open to abuse, the same object of warped affection that haunts the kidnapped victim of Nirvana's song, Polly. Ooh, that's a creepy song, too. It is a creepy song. It's un- both songs are unsettling. Yes. One, because we do know what it's about. When we talk yeah. about Polly and Piggy, I... Polly, Piggy. <laughs> I mean, Piggy, we're uncertain as to the definite meaning or right. authorial right. intent, right? So um, I want to talk about maybe just very, very quickly. This is played regularly live. And Blake, I sent you a link to a version with a string quartet. Oh. And this was played at the Bridge School Benefit concert. I... Remember watching this concert back in the day. What year was that? Was it 2007, 5, yeah. 9? Eight <laughs> or, 2008 or 9. I can okay. look it up. Well, it'll come up whenever you click on the link because it'll take you to, I believe okay. I got it from NIN Live Archive. Yeah, it is from 
NIN Live Archive. Uh, actually, it says it says 2006. Okay, so I said 2005 first. Okay, it was 2006. Interesting. Let's all those people just talking over I it. No, it's Rude. like shut up. <laughs> this is this is quiet music. You can't talk over it. The strings are really cool, though. Stand-up bass. <laughs> like how the the violins, whatever they are, trying to imitate the noise. Mm-hmm. The arrangement's really creepy. Yeah. Like horror movie. Mm-hmm. Taking a lot of vocal liberties on it. Cool though. It's the piano. Is that Trent shaking that? that shaker. <laughs> I'd like to picture that. I know. I bet it is. Maybe. He loves to shake things. He likes to shake He likes things. to shake it. Okay. Whatever it is. So the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to track three mm-hmm. is there was a recent cover of this song by St. Oh, Vincent. Right, right, right. right. Um, so St. Vincent covered this whenever Nine Inch Nails were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, different artists were asked to make to do interpretations of the inductees songs. So St. Vincent did Piggy and Ginny Beth did Closer. And we'll talk about that when we come to that song. But um, I don't think I've heard the Closer. Well, you'll hear it soon. I will hear it. Okay. So St. Vincent did a version. Dave Grohl guested on it. Right. He's on everything. I know. So do you want to give us a taste of that one? Yes. I like it a lot. Yeah. We, we got it on vinyl. We like it so much. It's a record store day thing. Cool drumming.
grooving. It's all vibes over here. We do get an organ. Of sorts. Okay. I can't remember. How does she end it? Uh, let's see. Does, does Dave go wild? Ooh. Kinda. That's some weird editing going on. Um, so she says that upon recording this um, cover, she said, Piggy remains one of my favorite nail songs to this day. I am obsessed with the slinky tambourine that is just a little lazy in feel. And when I took the song apart to cover it, it took me a long time to understand the immensity of the groove. It's a dark industrial reggae. Muscular, but never huh. as distorted as you imagined it when you think of it in your head. They make this complicated thing seem easy and made big, bold, sonic choices. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. It is a really complicated thing that that sounds so easy, simple, right? It simple does. and easy. Yeah, just just a harmless little shuffle tambourine song. <laughs> yeah, well. So track three. It's so totally, we go from the groove, of the dark industrial reggae. We have a third mood, a third entirely different mood once again. Of piggy to yep. a complete shift. Yes, Blake. What are we going into? Heresy. The most synthesizer-y thing we've heard yet on this album comes in. Oh, yeah. I think, hold on, there was a review in, oh, Pitchfork. Okay, so whenever they did the review of the 2004 uh, reissue, Rob Mitchum said, for all its Nietzsche-inspired deicide, hmm. it's a couple clicks of distortion dial away from being a Depeche Mode song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you just took the synth parts and took away the hyper distorted guitars it would sound a lot more Depeche Modi and it's got the most uh straightforward beat you could ever imagine at least with the kick and snare when you dig into the the layers obviously there's a lot more going on yeah so I think the production on this one was just Reznor um really yeah it's uh, 115 beats per minute um there is a demo version that was included on the 2004 reissue have you listened to that one I don't think so i I think I need to hear that now. I, I'm sure I did listen. What's it's just the, been a while, what's maybe. What's the difference? Yeah. Uh, okay, this is the demo. Oh, weird. It's a bit slower, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Slow down a little bit. And it starts right away with the drum. Terrifying. <laughs> Just like one single distorted whisper rather than all the weird little voices. This is strange. Wonder when this was done.
Oh. I mean, I, I, I like I like this. I do. I like that. Yeah. It's an interesting variation. I'm I'm fine with the one that ended up on the album, though. I don't I don't think I like that verse vocal as much. There isn't a melody. It's more like a, yeah. a skinny puppy or something. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So it just yeah. Me, uh, I was gonna make the same comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah just distorted vocal with without melody. Yeah. yeah. So have you ever seen uh, the movie The Doom Generation? No. So um, Greg Araki made. I think this was the second in like a trilogy, but he he's a queer filmmaker. He called this a heterosexual movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Doom Generation. I think it's one of, if it's not Rose McGowan's first film appearance, it's an early one. Hmm. Um, this is pre-Scream. Um, and it opens up in a nightclub, and the nightclub is playing Heresy. So huh. just kind of a, a little tidbit there for you. And this is kind of maybe a live rarity. So it was played on the Self-Destruct warm-up tour twice. And I think it showed up on the performance tour in 2007 and Wave Goodbye tour in 2009. So hmm. it's not a regular song yeah. in a set list i i don't i can't recall uh seeing live videos of this ever maybe do we want to talk about the meaning first or do you want to play it or how do you want to go about this yeah let's just let's just play it <laughs> okay if anything comes to mind as we go you can chime in though yeah that's way sped up Compared to the demo. And we talked about that, th this opening beat and the similarity to Happiness and Slavery remix when we did the Fixed episode. Love that noise. guitar lick gets gets so repetitive but it's almost genius how it repetitive it's just turned into a loop for this verse and then the, then the high version of it comes in over funny story what well i'll tell you after this i don't want to talk over anything cool i mean 
you can. Great bridge here. Love these like marching yes, sounds. Definitely got marching vibes from the first time I ever heard it. Also some vi uh, head like a whole vibes. There's some more chanting noise going on somewhere in the background there. Very quiet Trent vocal. God, as, as, as filthy as this one is, and as dark, this is almost like the pop song of, of the Downward Spiral. Like, it has this pop structure. It's so simple and straightforward, comparatively. March of the Pigs starts up immediately, but we're going to pause. What, what's the story you were going to tell? Oh, it's silly. Okay, so in high school, <laughs> sorry, um, maybe we'll get more into some items that led to this when we talk about later Halos, but mm -hmm. I was raised Mormon, but I was always kind of like on and off. My family was never like super devout, maybe briefly yeah. when I was really young, but in high school, it was kind of like we'd go occasionally anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but my mom had lost her job my senior year and got offered, it was like almost like a whole year that she was unemployed, was having a hard time finding a job. Um, anyway, she got offered a job and had to move to Arkansas very quickly. And so I, uh, moved in with a friend, I guess I was technically homeless. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But I moved in with a friend for the summer between my senior year and my freshman year in college and just kind of grabbed my shit. And I was also working at the time. So they had to move so quickly so she wouldn't have to pay another month's rent that a lot of my stuff, if I didn't have it with me, it was donated or tossed, right? Yeah. So like all my band t-shirts, wow, donated. No. Yeah. A lot of my books donated Sucks. um but anyway my mom had mormons are always very helpful if you ask for help mm -hmm. um and you're a member of the church and she had missionaries and members of the church come to help her like lug stuff to donate or help you know pack the u-haul up whatever and they got to my bed and at one point i had carved the chorus of this song <laughs> oh into my, my headboard oh with like a bit just like in the headboard in the headboard but no one could see it because i had like pillows covering it oh you know like God. when you make your bed i've always been a bed maker blake will attest to that so like yes. i would prop my pillow up against the headboard and you couldn't see it but i had at some point Wow. carved this chorus into the headboard and they were taking apart my bed <laughs> 
and the missionary saw it and my mom was so embarrassed. She oh called me God. at work. I worked at a video store. She oh goes, Jessica Ann. And I was just like, what? What did I do? And she was like, I saw what was carved on your bed and the missionary <laughs> saw it too. And I've never been more humiliated. And oh I was like, God. oh, well. <laughs> you really didn't care? No. What? I was never going to see those people again. Okay. And I basically haven't. So why would I care? I don't know. I just thought maybe you'd be a little embarrassed. No. I, I think I would I think I'd probably be mortified. No, I was not mortified at all. So I I still think it's a funny story and I stand by it. Um NIN has like the most carvable logo, right? <laughs> Definitely. You yeah. could have just done that like everyone else did. <laughs> you had to carve a whole chorus lyric. Uh-huh. It's a good chorus lyric. It's a good Did you just write God is dead and no one cares? If there is a hell, I'll see I you there. I think I like had the them like there, but kind of separate. So yeah. like, God is dead, My no one God. cares, and, and your then... freaking headboard, no respect. Mm. Mm. Um, that bed sucked ass. Oh, don't let okay. me, don't make me get started on that bed. But I'm sure they threw we were, it right in the trash. No, we were we were poor, and it was basically a toddler's training bed. It was so small and low yeah. to the ground. Okay. I hated that fucking bed. Anyway, yeah. At least it wasn't a mattress on the ground. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, we can talk about. Speaking of God being dead and all that, we can talk about the meaning and then do my little my little clips. Yeah, let's do it. So what the hell does this mean? I mean <laughs> what's this even about? Like God, it's could the could he be more vague? Personally, I, I hate talking about Christianity, uh, because I do have friends that I love very much who are um, you know, who identify consider themselves Christians. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to speak ill of religion in general, but evangelical Christianity will is the downfall of this country. Like I think it's bad. I don't yeah, I don't yeah. if I'm I not talking about like I don't hate Christians. I, evangelicalism evangelicalism is, is, is terrifying. And it is leading to some very horrible things in this country. And I think that because of things like, for example, the AIDS pandemic, you know, um, or mm -hmm. epidemic, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, the right, these Christian right evangelicals had inserted themselves even more into politics, right? And into sexual politics and into legislating things like what they consider moral or immoral and into focusing on, like, for example, like AIDS was completely ignored for years and years because it wasn't affecting white straight people, right? Mm-hmm. It was a gay disease. It was a, and they were sinners. So why yeah. are we going to focus on that? And it's, it's definitely <clears throat> mentioned in this song, and I, I feel like it's come up in in Trent Reznor stuff before. Yeah, and he's even said that he kind of resented growing up, like or coming of coming of age at that time, because he's he's like what seventeen, eighteen years older than me. Um, and when I was a kid, like in the nineties, everything you saw as far as documentaries, et cetera, about sex was basically sex is death or sex leads to pregnancy. And neither one of those things I wanted. These yeah. documentaries so terrified me that I stayed completely away from <laughs> sex for a very long time. I'm not going to blame uh, my lack of sexual activity on my looks or on my awkwardness uh, or on I had very different reasons uh, for self, staying away from my self-consciousness. <laughs> 
Uh, no one was interested in sex with me. Well, I I'm could, sure. Oh, that I was. I could care less about disease and 99% of it was that. But also, I had a lot of weird Mormon shit grilled into me about sex. And um, just my mom also. I mean, when you're. My mom was divorced twice and never dated again really after that. Mm-hmm. She briefly dated. We know mm-hmm. how that well, went. Well, <laughs> you, you and your sister ruined no, that. I didn't. I did not. Oh, okay, just. I just loved. He took me to go see Who Framed Roger yeah. Rabbit. Yeah, well, it's a good movie. Yeah. Your sister did ruin your mom's dating life. She um, did. I could have had a, a daddy. <laughs> well, <laughs> you wanted as a... Oh, God. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. So I was raised also with this complete distrust of men and all of their intentions. Still to this day, Still folks. Still to this to day. To this day. I will not trust she a man. Didn't trust me to take out the damn trash. Not only was I told not to trust men because... Listen, if they want to F you, they're just looking at you as a whole. My mom is famous for We're saying not, no, the expression. No. I think this but is, also, in we psychology, had, like, this is what we call projection, I think. I think <laughs> I think these were her thoughts. <laughs> and she was projecting them onto men. That's my analysis. But uh, also, uh, my mom told me to also never trust or help a man because that's how serial killers get you. I saw Silence of the Lambs. Don't We've help seen a that. man. Don't put, help a man. Put a couch Listen, in his truck. If you are a person by yourself and a man approaches you for help, fucking run. Because exactly. He is up to no good. And I'll tell you that as a man. Don't trust us at night alone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're fucking talking about no that was a big off and i'm sorry heresy so basically it's just it's a criticism of the negative impact of religion on politics and in society correct yeah and and maybe just yeah on on humankind Mm -hmm. and it's kind of i don't want to say it's not vague it's he wanted to talk about different themes because at first you might be like why is a song about religion on this album about this person's downward spiral. Because you're just starting to lose faith in institutions. And you're starting to maybe see as you age or whatever that maybe these things are not helpful. And he wanted to write about certain topics that he he like listed before he got to work on this album. Religion was one of them. Almost like among the things that you could try when you're trying to medicate yourself, like... I could try booze, I could try drugs, I could try sex, I could try religion. All these things are discussed and they don't really work out um, in the in the lyrics. Does that sound off base? No, not at all. <laughs> so it's just another of the, the, the things contributing to the downfall of a person. It's kind and of how I see it. Now an entire society. Yeah. And I <laughs> and the song the song knows that. The song does discuss yes. It being bad for society. Yes. And it's it's basically like, in Steiner's book, he probably phrases this much better than we can, right? So he says that uh, Reznor makes a more direct upon American conservatism's attempts to force religious beliefs into political issues and to blur the line between church and state, which we have seen uh, with negative consequences in the states. And the criticism, negative impact of religious leaders, dictators, and presidents, false idols who align themselves with spiritual righteousness and pragmatic certainty, the corruption of state by doctrine, the flock versus the private individual citizen, and how dogmatic exploitation of scripture can come to justify acts of systemic abuse and industrialized genocide. (laughs) That's a lot 
Jessica has to do a cool down now? What are you doing? <laughs> Just trying to take that all in. That is, yeah, that is probably put a lot more um, elegantly than the song Heresy puts it, I must say. Like, no offense to Trent. <laughs> but... I mean, how, how pretty, can you fit in the words industrialized yeah. genocide in a Nine Inch Nails right. song? It, would, it would, sounds more like a Rage Against the Machine I was going to say right? it would have to be coming from <laughs> Zach De La Roca's mouth. Yeah. Industrialized genocide. Anyway. That sounded uh, nothing like that's that. That's exactly but, what he sounds okay. like. All right. I'm wrong. So, yeah. Um, no. What else did you have? Sorry. Um, I guess I just have a couple quotes from Reznor. Uh, okay. So um, he said that he was trying to explore some of the paranoia I have as a sexually active person in the age of AIDS. I guess I feel cheated. Oh, brag for, much. <laughs> I guess I feel cheated for not growing up in a more liberated era. At the same time, what gets me mad is the way the right wing has used the seeming convenience of this epidemic in helping to promote their own agenda. Yeah. I mean, that's what's happening now, too, with COVID. Yeah, it's, you so. know, it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Political opportunity. AIDS was a was a was a nice political opportunity for a lot of people. And so is COVID. And uh yeah, so using mass death as as a nice little uh political stepping stone. So should we talk about <laughs> heresy musically and technically? Yes. There's just too much to talk about with this the concepts introduced in this song, to if, be fair. But yeah. I also feel like, okay, and Steiner said this. He said he's establishing his narrator as a rebel, confirming heretical deviance from religion, specifically organized Christianity as prevailing orthodoxy in America during the early 1990s. It's still the same, by the way. So, You know, things haven't changed a whole lot. Um, no. So I'll play the opening sense. We'll call them the Depeche Mode sense. <laughs> Depeche Mode, but darker. Okay. And we're, when it opens up, we're almost kind of confused about where the downbeat is here. Um, as, Ix, as Ixie called it, rhythmic uncertainty or rhythmic displacement. Once that kick and snare fall in line, though, you know exactly where you are. The center speaker of the surround mix, you get just that bass synth for almost the entire song. It's nothing but this. And I believe it's the note F. It's crazy how this whole song is just the note F being blasted at you <laughs> for the whole thing. Um, and you get a little bit of rest on the bridge, but not really. It's not like it changes key. Um, let's see. Then in the center, we hear the kick. Oh, wait. No, that's the that's the bridge. We hear the kick and noise. Like, what are those little things? No clue. Sound like weird demon babies. That's what I'm going to (laughs) say. It it could be Trin's voice really distorted and weird, uh, for all I know. Um, Let's see. I like demon babies better. Oh, by the way, I uh, my comparison. Yeah, demon babies. My comparison between the happiness and slavery remix on Fixed and this, I did a little mashup clip to demonstrate. That's the the thing from Fix, the remix. You can just kind of put yeah. the put the vocals on top of it. It still works. 
let's see, we have verse two vocals. Just so you can hear the weird layers. They're so affected. So tortured sounding, right? Demon babies. <laughs> That's not a demon baby there. That's a man. And the surround, we have different stuff in the surround speakers that highlight stuff you might not have heard otherwise. We, we probably did hear that, but I, I love this noise. One of my favorite parts. Probably made by... Chugga-chug-chug-chug. Lots of chugga-chug guitars in this song. So much chugga-chug guitar. This is, I think, after the first chorus, we get these, like, machine gun noises. There's that little guitar loop. Almost like the Terminator or something. <laughs> <laughs> like the Terminator theme? Yeah, kind of. Maybe Trent is also a fan, and he should hang out with me and watch Terminator 2 Judgment Day, because it's the yeah. best movie. It'd be cool if he... Someone was asking, like... Someone asked us what movie would you want to most hear with an alternate <gasps> Trent Reznor oh score God. and I didn't of course I didn't think Terminator Terminator or and Terminator I, 2 I think Terminator 2 preferably or the Terminator I mean one. the first one would be great too uh, and the first one the, those have scores that I already love but imagine if it was Trent that'd be crazy um, okay so the in the surrounds on the bridge we can isolate some of that strange chanting sampled stuff no clue where this all came from and you can hear his really soft vocal i think he says will you die for this and then right after that it goes back into the chorus part there's what I call the noise solo that's kind of hard to hear and, unless you isolate it. But it's way, way wilder than I ever imagined. It's super cool. That's so crazy. It, so, it's, it sounds to me like a guitar processed all to hell and back. Yeah, uh, I just love that. It's all over the place. Definitely beyond human uh, noises humans normally make with the guitars, but it's amazing what he could do with a Zoom box and turbo synth. Um, I think that's everything that I had for Heresy. It's simple, but it's not. Like all these songs... They may sound simple. There's a more than 
the sum of their parts quality. This is a, a thing with Nine Inch Nails for me that the songs, especially when you get into the multi-track files, the songs become more than the, the sum of their parts. And I will, I will stand by that. I think that's like a thesis statement for the entire discography. I don't know. What do you think? Are the you can't nod. It's a podcast. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. I concur. Are the song the songs are more than the sum of their parts? <laughs> is that too what is that? Too am I getting too philosophical? I don't think it is. No. You listen to things individually and you're like, "Okay, this is one thing." I mean, you put them together, they're I don't know. It's just Shit you it's never just crazy imagined. how he puts this, these seemingly random, not random, these sounds that seemingly would not work, Yeah, but they make this cacophonous beauty and they come together perfectly. Yeah, like pure noise and mm-hmm. ugly noise and just ugly sounds. Things that shouldn't work, they do. <laughs> um, it's part of the genius of it. Heresy, my friends. Heresy. <laughs> also... So- um. A friend of the pod, uh, Sweet Tooth Enamel. Mm-hmm. They make really dope mm. pins. Um, yeah, we can we can mention this on yeah. the pod. Yeah. So they have a cat named Heresy, and the cat recently strange name for a cat. <laughs> I think their other cat is named Ruiner. Is that right? Oh, oh, really? Yeah. That's a good. That's a good name for a cat. Our cat ruins everything. Have you seen this guy? But instead, we named him Oscar, and it just makes him sound so innocent. Yeah, but yeah. he's not. No. Anyway, Heresy. So, uh, Heresy has had some expensive veterinarian work, and our friend at um, Sweet Tooth Enamel was selling some really cool buttons to raise funds to help pay for the veterinarian bill, um, which is yeah. pretty expensive. And times are tight. So last I checked, he still had a few available. But also, yeah. you could probably just DM and see if you can help. I'm sure that just maybe PayPaling, you know, a couple bucks. It all adds up, you know. Yeah. So um, help out a kitty named Terracy. But not only does it help a cat, you got to understand that how cool this pin is. That it has the cat's head, like his face, mm-hmm. in the middle of the spiral shell shape. Mm-hmm. It's either the shell or the millipede or whatever the hell it is. It's the spiral shape with a cat in the center. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of these limited sweet tooth enamel pens. So it's like a collector's item. So you're getting this cool thing. Uh, we got it. We're, we're getting it, by the way, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. I ordered it. Jess was kind enough to get it for us. It's going to go in our sweet tooth collection. <laughs> More on that later. Yeah, um, but if if you even if uh, Sweet Tooth is out of the pens, just consider maybe kicking yeah. a few dollars their way and help yeah. out help Ho- out a kitty, help out a family of kitties, you know. Yeah, hopefully they've they've reached that goal, you know, to to pay. I don't know how atrocious. I mean, the there bill are follow is. up appointments and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, um, so our fourth and final song on this side is a song that we already had an episode about. So I guess just go to that and turn this off. And <laughs> go listen, go listen to, to March of the Pigs because it's much better than anything we have to say right now. Yeah. Yeah. What should we even do? Like, how do we end this? Well, what 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 is there to say about March of the Pigs that we did not? Do you have get more to? stuff to say? Because I don't. I don't know that I do. I mean, did our did any listeners send you any kind of factoids or anything that we overlooked uh, or anything like that that you can think of? I mean, we can not always address a, no, this later, not like off the in top a... of my head. But I do want to. I, I didn't have this information when I when we recorded uh, that 
we just sat down and listened to the surround mix, of course, tonight. I am still hearing new stuff in like the surround speakers that I'd never heard, like more guitar parts. No, I was when I were whenever we were listening to it in surround sound, that was the first time I'd ever heard it in surround, and I was like, yeah. "What is happening?" I know it's crazy. Yes. I was like hearing more subtle guitars underneath the layers of of guitars. That I was like, what is this? This is like new to me. Um, it's craziness. They were just like whole new songs because I was yeah. noticing things I'd never noticed before. I want to get a better system now just to be able to play these better. So join our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, please, God. You got a daddy needs a new surround sound system. We're fine. Um, I disagree that we're fine. but We're fine. Um, it is a shame that there's only two records out uh, from Nine Inch Nails on surround. Do the fragile now. Wait, what are the two? With teeth. Ah, uh, okay. I was going to um, ask if it was with teeth. I think they teased fragile for a while and then didn't, and they kind of did deviations instead of doing the the surround dual disc thing fell out of fashion because 2004, 2005 was uh, downward spiral and with teeth, they yeah. did dual discs. Is that, that's not. And then they don't do that. Fell out of fashion completely. Yeah, I remember dual discs when I worked at Barnes and I have the Fiona Apple uh, dual disc um, extraordinary machine. That's also from so the you year have two- that on on surround sound. It, it's not a surround. Oh, but that was two thousand five when it was the all the all the rage. What's the difference between like the surround and you can cut this out if you need to? No. What was the difference between? <laughs> I won't. What was the difference between like? Do you remember essay CDs? Yes. And I, w- I, I feel really like those were a little bit before, God. right? It was around the same time. So Super Audio CD is yes. what it stands for. I wish they would have continued that. I wish I wish anything that had to do with good quality music had continued. Mm-hmm. Now everything's just compressed now on your streaming service. Now everything is dog shit MP3 <laughs> yeah. and, and streaming. Um, Unless you can afford no to buy a, a really high quality yeah. like turntable and speakers. And even that. Even that, you have to get a good disc. You can't just get one of these cheapo MP3s carved into a disc. It's a nightmare. If you want <laughs> good listening to good quality audio is an expensive nightmare. Anyway, I wish they'd continued Super Audio. So SACD was a high resolution CD, right? It was just like CD but higher resolution. I guess so. I'm not really certain. That's, that's why I was, was asking you. Yeah, I used to know more about it back when I was like in audio school and stuff and they were making those and they're they were much more expensive i remember that like maybe like four dollars more i mean if you're paying 18 if you're at here if you're at barnes and noble which had like the highest price cds in the world and you were paying 18.99 for just a normal cd you might as well cuff up the five dollars and pay the 23.99 for like the sacd version or whatever but i mean i i vaguely remember it it was like a brief craze before I, the end of CDs. I wish that had continued and surround mixes and dual discs had continued. And yeah, would have been nice. Do I you should... have any of those things pinpointed for March of the Pigs that you wanted to talk about at all? Or um, no. Okay. I didn't I mean, know if I, you I don't had. Have, I don't have any clips. Okay. Why don't we just play it here? We just have to play it. We can talk over it as kind of an outro to the episode, I guess, since we've gone over two hours. I guess we can just start, you know, wrapping things up. So what's half an hour per song is not too bad, really, when you when you break it down. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. 
I want to thank everyone who subscribes to our Patreon. Thank you so much. We appreciate. Yes. And. Your contribution. Not only. Sharing our things on Instagram, but also. Instagram <laughs> copyright, copyright TM. Okay. But also uh, um, sharing your knowledge with us, which is yeah. really important. And give us whatever knowledge we missed, whatever nine inch knowledge we missed on these four songs. Let us know and we'll uh, maybe we'll mention them later. Okay, I'm going to look up at the songs for next time because I don't have my sides memorized, okay. and I'm sorry. But, yeah, uh, thanks for your support, even if it's just following on Instagram and Twitter and interacting with us and liking our stuff and also reposting our stuff. Like That's the whole reason that people know about us because people were kind enough to spread the word. So spreading the word costs nothing if you like it. Please tell 50 of your friends and um, leave a review on iTunes, I guess. I, as far as I know, it's the only platform where you can leave podcast reviews. But five star, write some words. And contributions on Patreon and... and and otherwise are, are the reason we can financially continue to do this in addition to our day jobs. Uh, also, I want to say that we're after this, because this is going to hit the main feed, what, Sunday or Monday? Um, we're taking, we're going to record a bonus up for our Patreon listeners, and it's going to, or Patreon subscribers, sorry. Yeah. And it's going to be on Woodstock 94. Yes. And then we are taking a very, very brief break because it's our anniversary. And so basically we'll be oh, maybe a week behind or not a week behind, a week late when it comes to release. So we're going to skip a week, basically, okay. is what I'm trying to say. After the Mudstock week, you mean? Yes. That way we can have. So it's we're celebrating our anniversary. We are taking a online and podcast detox vacation time. Mm-hmm. Um, for mental health reasons, <laughs> uh, everyone should do that every once in a while. Yes. It's it's only healthy and to uh, enjoy each other. Yes, each other's company. Mm-hmm. So just a little brief baby break, and then we'll be back. Um, but so our next episode in the main feed, whenever we come back from that break, we'll be talking about the um, side B of the first disc of the Downward Spiral. So that's going to be the three songs will be Closer, Ruiner, and The Becoming. Holy shit. Three epic <laughs> songs. Yeah. Just three. Wow. Watch uh, it be three hours long. <laughs> well, I think with... Yeah, we can talk about Closer some. Yeah. But we don't have to go all out. No. I mean, I kind of just we, want to do a whole episode on Closer, have, but we will we because it's its own Halo. Yeah. We have a Closer Halo. We have a Closer music video bonus episode. That mm -hmm. won't be in the main feed, but we'll do a bonus episode, I think, about the making of and the music video, one of the best music videos ever. And if you want to see that, or if you want to hear that, if you want to hear the Woodstock 94 performance bonus episode, subscribe to our patreon please it keeps us afloat patreon.com slash aux audio a-u-x audio that's my 
podcast production company. This it's is going on forever. So I know. Let's what else? It. What are we forgetting? At okay on Instagram and Twitter at Nailed Pod. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks, piggies. Thank you so much. Um, that's been part one of the downward spiral. And didn't that make you feel better? Yeah.